0: Welcome to the Justin Peters program, where we're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. Studying to show ourselves approved. Rightfully dividing the word of truth, so that we can worship God in spirit and truth. Deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here's your host, Justin Peters. Justin well of the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are doing well. I want to thank you for joining me. And this week I want us to continue our study into Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 through 30. We have been looking at this for the last several programs with the exception of the last two because some uh, stories cropped up and I made a lot of news. So for a couple weeks we were derailed from our look at this text. Uh, Specifically, I'm referring to some issues with Beth more and especially uh, the big story, the big story being that of Alex Malarkey coming out and writing this open letter to Lifeway, stating that his uh, story is not true, a story of having gone to and come back from heaven is not true. So we we uh, were derailed the last couple of weeks, but this week I want us to get back to our look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Let me read that for us in case you have missed the first few programs we have done on this text, and uh, we will pick it up where we last left off. But Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, says this, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does any one know the Father except the Son, and any one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Now, just briefly, as a little bit of recap from our last treatment of this text, we did not get very far into it because first... Uh, program or two, I was giving the context of it, but in the last program in which I dealt with this text, we talked about how uh, the statement from Jesus, he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to inf- infants. We talked about how, uh, Jesus burst forth into praise and exaltation uh, to the Father for hiding these things. These things are the things of the gospel. Gospel. Genuine faith, genuine repentance. Jesus praised the Father for hiding these things, the things of the gospel, from the wise and intelligent. And we talked about how this was both an act of judgment and an act of mercy. It was an act of judgment in that uh, God hid these things from them, keeping them from uh, coming to the truth, it, uh, and it kept them in the sin in which they loved. But it was also an act of mercy because in in hiding the truth from them, he kept them from being exposed to any more truth, knowing that they would not receive it, that they would not repent, and so he hid them from any more exposure to the truth, which would only increase their condemnation and increase their judgment. In this, we talked about how this is why Jesus spoke in parables. We see this from Matthew chapter 13. The disciples asked Jesus very directly why he spoke in parables. And Jesus said in verse 11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Parables were both acts of judgment and of mercy. It prevented them, acts of mercy, it because it prevented them from having any more exposure to the truth, which they would only reject, and therefore would only increase Their condemnation increase their judgment for all of eternity. And we talked about how we often think of the really, really bad guys as being people like Adolf Hitler and Mussolini. And Saddam Hussein, and Pol Pot, and Osama bin Laden, and maybe Adam Lanza, uh, the young man who a couple of years ago went into a school and shot, murdered all of those children and some teachers. You know, those are the really bad guys. But, but biblically speaking, the, the people who will have the harshest punishment are those who had the most exposure to the truth and yet rejected it. Uh, it is those people. Who have the most to fear from God? Because their their judgment will be most severe. Not uh, not people like Adolf Hitler, but but people who have full exposure to the truth, who have full access to the Word of God, who know the gospel intellectually, know the gospel, and yet reject it. And, of course, within this, would, uh, would we would include certainly false teachers, people like Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen and uh, these other false teachers, Catholics, uh, Catholic priests, especially a lot of exposure to the truth. They have the same Bible that we do. They read it, and yet they refuse to teach it. So it is those people uh, who will endure the, the strictest judgment, the most severe punishment For all of eternity. So, uh, now I want us to get to this term babes. Jesus said that he praised the Father for hiding these things from the wise and intelligent, and yet he has revealed these same things to babes, to infants. Now, in the Greek, this word is nepios, uh, infants, sucklings. Jesus here does not have in view a chronological measuring stick. He is not saying that the things of God are being revealed to babies or to toddlers or even to young children. That is not the point. The point he is making is that the things of God are revealed to those who have been brought to the place where they understand that they are completely bereft in and of themselves of any resources or any merit which could possibly earn God's favor. And, dear friends, there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn God's favor or acceptance. And it is not coincidental that the very first beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who understand their own sinfulness, their own frailty, their own spiritual bankruptcy, and their own total dependence upon God. A baby is totally dependent upon others for its physical well-being. A baby can do nothing for himself. Left alone, a baby will die. Left to ourselves, in our own fallen, depraved state, we will remain in our own state of spiritual death. There is nothing that we can do for ourselves, no amount of good works, no amount of uh, sincerity, nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. We have got to come to the point where we understand that we are totally helpless, that that we are totally undone as sinners before a righteous and holy God. Now, in considering Jesus' statements about an interaction with babes and children, it is easy for us to think of these things in tender and compassionate terms only. And to be sure, Jesus was tender and compassionate towards children. And I believe that when death comes to a baby or to a young child or an adult, or an adult who simply lacks the mental ability to comprehend the things of eternity, and uh, to comprehend the things of the gospel, that these precious ones are safe in the arms of God. A very good book, by the way, by that same title, by Dr. John MacArthur, uh, which deals with this question of what happens to babies and children when they die safe in the arms of God. I would commend that book to you. Uh, So, back to the text, but the point here is those who endure God's wrath for all of eternity do so because they have willfully suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, as Paul discusses in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Those who willfully suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I do not believe that infants, that young children, or the mentally handicapped are even capable of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Yes, we are born sinners. Uh, we are sinners by by nature, we are sinners. By our uh, volition, by our act, by our behavior, yes. Uh, so I, I'm not denying original sin. I'm not denying that we are born with an inherent sinful, fallen nature. I'm not denying that. And yet, the people who endure the wrath of God endure that wrath because, per Romans one eighteen, they suppress. They actively, willfully suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And uh, I do not believe that that is uh, something that babies, toddlers, young children, or the uh, adults who are mentally handicapped, severely mentally handicapped anyway, are even capable of of doing. So uh, Jesus was and is compassionate toward these, towards children. Uh, Recall Jesus' words in Matthew uh, 19 uh, when he said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He was tender and compassionate, but this tenderness and compassion was not all that he had in mind in his interactions with the very young. And that's not all that he had in mind here in Matthew chapter 19. In fact, not at all. This statement from Christ in Matthew chapter 19, let the little children come to me, is not as some supposed support for baptizing infants or even young children. To such as these does not refer to their age as much as it does their status. Just as babies are completely dependent upon others for their physical well-being, so are children. A child cannot go out and get a job. It cannot pay the rent or the mortgage. child cannot bring home the bacon. A child cannot pay his taxes. A child does not have any bad taxes to pay, but even if he did, he couldn't pay So he has no resources on his own. A child is completely dependent upon his parents for his physical well-being. The kingdom of God is revealed to those who have been brought to the point and acknowledge that they have no resources in and of themselves to know God or to please God. The kingdom of God is revealed to the nepion, the babes, the the Technon, the Greek word there Technon, the children who understand and recognize that their own spiritual uh, recognize their own spiritual emptiness and bankruptcy. It is revealed to those who realize that they are sinful and undone before a holy God whose anger burns against the wicked and that their sinfulness has earned his wrath. There is a big difference, dear ones, between a childlike faith and a childish faith. Big difference between a childlike faith and a childish faith. When I was seven years old, I was baptized because I had made a public profession of faith in Christ. And uh, did I have faith in Christ when I was seven years old? Well, it depends on what you mean by faith. Did I believe that he was real? Yes, I did. But I also believed that Santa Claus was real. I did not have a childlike faith. I had a childish faith. And dear friends, there's a big, big difference between those two. A difference as wide as all of eternity between a childlike faith and a childish faith. A childlike faith is that kind of faith that recognizes that we are undone before God. That there is nothing that we can do for ourselves to earn God's favor. No amount of good works, no amount of sincerity, uh, no amount of uh, efforts at self-reformation or uh, turning over a new leaf. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. We are spiritually dead. There's nothing that we can do for ourselves. Just as a child can do nothing for himself physically, cannot take care of himself, is totally and completely dependent upon the love and And uh, the compassion of his parents, so are we, totally and completely dependent upon the love and the mercy of God. I had a childish faith in Christ. I believe that he was real, just like I believe that Santa Claus was real. I believe that Jesus was a real person. I believe that he died on the cross and that he was raised from the dead. I believed all of those things intellectually. But at age seven, it was a very childish understanding. There's a big difference between a childlike faith and a childish faith. I believe Jesus was real. I believe he was a real person. I believe that he was nailed to a cross died. I believe that he was raised from the dead. And I could even give you intellectual assent that he died for my sins. I had some intellectual understanding of that. But did I understand my own depravity? did i understand how sinful sin really is did i understand that if i were to die in my sins that i would spend all of eternity in hell did i understand the righteousness of god the holiness of god the wrath of god no i didn't understand these things you know i was uh, not too long ago i was thinking about this and looking back in my own uh, life story i can remember being in the 5th grade and i was i can i can see it in my mind's eye right now i could fi- if you well start to say if you took me back to that classroom right now i could i could show you where in the classroom i was sitting but my old elementary school no longer exists it's been um taken care of by the bulldozers but at any rate uh, i can i can see it in my mind's eye right now exactly where i was sitting in Mrs. Johnson's science class in the 5th grade and Mrs. Johnson was going off on some rabbit trail. I don't know how she got onto it, but uh, she started kind of getting philosophical. And uh, she said, she was talking about how uncertain life is. And she said, you don't even know if you're going to make it home today alive. And when I heard her say that, I thought, what? What Wait, I'm not, I don't know for certain that I'm going to make it home today alive. But you know what? I mean, obviously she was right. But that day in the fifth grade, now in fifth grade, you're what, uh, 11 years old? That was the first time that my own mortality really hit me. I mean, yeah, I knew that people died, but I just, it's like something that happens to old people. And I was, you know, I was in grade school. I'm never going to be old. <laughs> no better than that now, for sure. But that was the first time that it ever occurred to me, you know, I'm not. I don't know for certain that I'm going to see the sunrise in the morning. I don't know for certain that I'm going to be alive tomorrow. I don't know for certain that I'm going to be alive an hour from now. That was the first time it hit me at age 11. But I was baptized four years before then. So, do you think I really had an understanding of the gospel of God's holiness, of my own depravity, of my own sin, of how heinous sin is, about how what a stench it is in the nostrils of God? Did I have any understanding of, of how His wrath burned against the wicked? No, I had no understanding of that. No, I could, sure, I could make intellectual sins that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't understand the gravity of it. And I would tell you today, I mean, today, I don't I don't. I can't fully grasp that. Way I grasp it, way way better than I did back then, obviously. But uh, you know, it, it won't. It, it, we see through a glass dimly right now. But uh, so but, so much less when I was seven. So that's what I say, dear friends. Is there's a big difference between a childlike faith and a childish faith. And uh, parents, for those of you who are are listening, this is something that I teach often in my seminars now. And because it's something I, I feel so passionate about, I'm so burdened by how many children we are leading into a false sense of security, a false sense of salvation, simply because our kids make intellectual assent. To a few basic Bible facts, and I will say that this is done. Uh, parents, uh, most parents do not do this with any malice, but at all, they do it out of of love for their kids. But I, but it is a it's a misplaced love because it's a love that's not really grounded on a right understanding of Scripture. But we have led. Millions and millions of children who grow into millions and millions of adults into a false sense of security about their eternal destiny simply because they have made intellectual assent to some basic Bible facts. And because they can do that, we baptize them. I was watching a church service from a, a, a Baptist Church uh, just a couple months ago. I wanted to hear the, the the message by this particular pastor. I wanted to hear this particular message. And so I was watching it, and they had the whole service on their, um, their website. And the service began with baptisms. And uh, there were two or three children that were baptized. But one of them was a little five-year-old, a five-year-old boy. And he waded into that baptistry, uh, baptismal pool. Up in front of the, you know, the entire congregation there, and the, up, up, up on stage, and you know he, he he really he he needed a snorkel, he needed a snorkel just to, just to walk out there, wade into the pool. I mean, the water was deeper than he was tall. They had to put him on a little stool type thing. I, you know, that five year old kid doesn't understand the, the 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 things of the gospel. Intellectual assent, sure. I'm sure he's got some basic Bible facts down that he's been taught in Sunday school. But does he understand what genuine repentance is? Does he understand the difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow over over sin? Don't count on it. No, no, he doesn't. There is a reason. There, there there's a reason that uh, that God is compassionate towards the very young and the, the mentally handicapped because they can't understand. There's no way that little five-year-old boy understood what he was doing. No way. But we baptize them and they think because they've been baptized that they're good, that they're safe. They're, they've got their ticket into heaven. Dear friends, this is such a burden with me because I, you know, I've been a victim of it. I say victim that, you know, I'm accountable of course, but, um, you know, I was exposed to this erroneous teaching. Is it is it taught out of malice? No, no. The vast majority of cases, no, it's not taught out of any malice. It's not taught. It's not. I don't think churches are trying to um, deceive children. I'm sure some probably are for the numbers. I, numbers is a motivating factor here. A lot of churches do this for numbers. Um, but I think a lot of it is done out of ignorance. Now. The leadership of the church is responsible for that. They are responsible. The pa- the pastor, the staff members, they are responsible because they should know their Bibles well enough to know that this should not be done. They're responsible. It doesn't excuse it, but um, but I think it shows a real lack of understanding of the gospel, a real lack of understanding of of the nature of children. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse fourteen. He says, do not be like little children who are easily tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. Uh, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, um, says that children are easily tossed to and fro. They are easily tossed to and fro, and they are. And parents, you know this. Children are easily tossed to and fro. What captures a child's attention one week may be completely disinteresting to them the next week. So we have to be very, very careful with children. And uh, one of the things that I'm convinced of is that salvation should look the same in everyone, regardless of their age. Okay? Regardless of their age. Whether we're talking about a child at age 8 or a senior adult at age 80, salvation should look pretty much the same. Uh, there should, if if God saves a child, there should be, or a person, whoever of whatever age, when God saves someone, there should be a change in that person's life. There should be a godly sorrow over sin, not just a worldly sorrow, not just. Uh, and we'll talk about that later in this uh, in this series, but a godly sorrow over sin when we understand that our sin is first and foremost against God, His person, that we grieve Him. Uh, our our sin grieves Him, and because we have grieved Him, we grieve. That's a godly sorrow. There should be a hunger for the Word of God. There should be a desire, a thirst. We should thirst after righteousness. There should be a desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There should be a desire for personal holiness. Uh, there should be a genuine repentance in our lives. And genuine repentance is not just willing yourself to to be a better person, it's not just uh, willing yourself to turn over a new leaf. Genuine repentance is granted by God, and when God grants repentance, it should be evident not only to us, but it should be evident to everyone around us. They should see the change in us. They should say, Zacchaeus. You want to look at uh, uh, genuine repentance. Zacchaeus is a picture of genuine repentance. We all know the song, Zacchaeus climbed up the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know, Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector, Jesus confronted him. And and what did he do when Jesus confronted him in his sin, when God granted him to gen- genuine repentance? What did Zacchaeus do? Did he say, oh, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again? No, he made it right. He made it right. He 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 returned the money to people. To the people from whom he had stolen it. And he made it right. returned it uh, double fold. So he made it right. That's what genuine repentance looks like. And, and not only did he know he was a different person, but everybody around him knew it. So uh, I didn't really mean to get off on all this. But but uh, uh, since I started down this, this uh, rabbit trail, I guess I wanted to chase it a little bit. Uh, parents, if you're listening and maybe you have children who and you go to a, maybe even if you go to a good uh, Bible-believing teaching church, uh, um, your, your children are going, obviously, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the biblical truth. And because they're children, they will have a natural curiosity about these things. That's good. Okay, that that is good. You should encourage that curiosity. You should teach your children the things of the gospel. You should teach them scripture. Uh, And by the way, the primary source of biblical instruction for children should be coming from the home, from the father, uh, not at church. Church is supplemental. It's good and encourage that, obviously. But the primary source of biblical instruction for your children should not be for 45 minutes, Sunday school, Sunday morning. It should be coming from the home, from the father of the home, the father of the children, the husband. Uh, so continue to teach your children these things. And if they have questions and, and if they if they um, say that they believe the gospel, encourage that. But wait. Don't rush them to the baptistry. And I've talked to a lot of parents who have said things like, Well, well, Justin, we haven't rushed them. We haven't encouraged them, but this is something they want to do. They understand how can I deny them this? How can I deny them this? Well, it's not a matter of denying them. It's a matter of waiting until they you're certain that they they're at least as certain as you possibly can be that they really understand what they are doing. And I think some parents have the The mistaken belief that if their child doesn't get baptized when he says that he's ready for it, that if something were to happen to to his kid, that he would die and and, uh, go to hell. That is not true. If God saves your child, uh, he's not going to lose his salvation. Salvation is a gift. We do nothing to earn it. And once it is given, once it is granted to it, God is not an Indian giver. He's not going to take it back. So your child, is, if he's genuinely saved, he's not going to lose his salvation. Even if, heaven forbid, something were to happen to him before he gets baptized. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. Scripture does not teach that. So they're not going to lose their salvation. But I would encourage you, I would encourage parents to wait. let your Let your child get older. Watch them see if they bear fruit in keeping with genuine repentance. See if they bear evidence of being a new creature in Christ. Has there been a change in them? Uh, in children, the only commandments that children are given in Scripture is to be obedient to their parents. So one thing you could look for if your child is uh, truly a Christian, one thing you ought to see immediately is that he should become he should become more obedient to you. Do you see that? Um, but even at that, I, wait... Give them an extended period of time because children are easily tossed to and fro. That's just the way they are. That's the, that's the way they are. That's the way God has designed them, by the way. Uh, but they're easily tossed to and fro. Give them an extended period of time. Watch them. Do they have a hunger for the, for the Word of God? Do they desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see evidence of genuine repentance? Do you see a godly sorrow? Uh, from them, a the godly sorrow over their sin? Do you see a love for the brethren? Do you see an increasing pattern of holiness in their life? You know, you're not going to tempt a seven-year-old boy with alcohol and pornography. Um, at least not likely. Uh, not at seven, I wouldn't think. Certainly not alcohol, but but you know it's it's not a it's not a big deal for a seven eight nine year old child to to uh, show uh, a lack of interest in the in the things of the world the thing, the temptations that are out there. But when that when that seven year old boy is seventeen, then let's talk. You know, when that six year old boy is sixteen, then let's talk. Then let's see how he does with peer pressure. Then let's see how he does with temptation. Alcohol and and uh, following the crowd and compromising his faith and and um, sexual temptation. Then see how he does with it. Not teaching sinless perfection here at all, dear ones. But if we have truly been regenerated by Christ, if a child, if a teenager is truly regenerated by Christ, it will it will manifest itself. That conversion will will manifest itself in how he deals with temptation. And you're just it's. You're just not going to have a good gauge for that when the child is six, seven, eight, nine years old, ten years old. Um, and it, you know what's interesting? It used to be, and I'll, I'll speak from my own denominational background here, growing up as a Southern Baptist, used to the first, oh, 60, 70 years of the Southern Baptist Convention, you would never, hardly ever see. Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist baptizing children. it, it heart is heart is practically unknown. Practically unknown. In fact, most Baptist uh, most Baptist churches wouldn't baptize uh, people until they were, a lot of them, until they were 20 years old. 20. 20. To 0 Why? Because they knew the children are easily tossed to and fro. Uh, and they knew that the teenage years are pretty volatile and so a lot of churches wouldn't wouldn't baptize somebody until they were twenty. But nowadays, in the vast majority of Southern Baptist churches, and I'll say evangelical churches in general, if you're if you're nine years old and you haven't stirred the baptismal waters, people start wondering, what's wrong with you? What's what's wrong with your parents? Why haven't you been baptized? You're nine years old. You know, it's it's uh it's, it's a completely different world now. And uh, I, I tremble for all the children that we have wittingly or unwittingly uh, led into a false sense of conversion, false sense of salvation, simply because they've made intellectual assent to some Bible facts. But that is not what Jesus meant when he said, uh, when he referred to the little children. When he said, let the little children come to me. That, that He wasn't talking uh, about... Trusting a, a small child's profession of faith and baptizing them. You look through the early church, look look through the book of Acts, and all throughout the New Testament, you don't see any evidence of children being baptized. There's no evidence of that at all. It's adults. You know, and this is something new. This is a relatively new baptizing children. This is something that's relatively new. But it's been done. Uh I mean relatively speaking in the in the two thousand year history of the Christian church. This is this is something just in the last, you know, I don't know, seventy seventy, eighty so years. We have Charles Finney in a large part to uh, blame for this. Now, this is something new. It used to not be done, it used to never be be unheard of. But now it's regular, now it's normative. And um and again, I, I don't I, I'm not saying that parents are are uh, doing this with any mal intent at all? In fact, I think quite the opposite. But I, I think parents are—most uh, parents have have uh, fallen prey to church tradition. Well, it must be right because we've always done it this way. It must be right because I was baptized when I was a kid. It must be right because that's—that's just what we see. But um, this—it's this used not it used not to be the case, dear ones. So encourage your children, but just watch them and see if they bear evidence of genuine conversion, if they bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Watch and see and um, and wait. Just wait uh, for them to be baptized. And I promise you their baptism will mean far more to them uh, some years down the road than it will when they're seven, eight years old. A, a, a child who is baptized at age fifteen, you know, fifteen, sixteen—that's going to—that's going to mean way more to them than when they're five or six. And um, even at that, we have to be careful. So, can we know these things for one hundred percent certainty, one way or the other? No, we can't. I've unfortunately, I, I know of. Um, Uh, One young lady who was baptized when she was 16 years old, and uh, she was uh, a pastor's kid, or is a pastor's kid. Her father was a pastor and a good one, a good pastor. I mean, a biblically sound doctrines of grace, preaching expositor who taught his children the Word of God in the home. A good pastor, a good man, a man um, for whom I have a great deal of respect. And I, and, uh, some years ago when his daughter was 16, uh, she was baptized at age 16 and she gave, from what I understand, I wasn't there, but she gave a wonderful testimony, like a doc, I mean, a deep testimony, doctrinally sound testimony. And, uh, sadly, she is now an adult and, um, well into her twenties, well into her twenties, mid twenties, somewhere in there, but, uh, but she's completely and totally apostatized. And she gave her own testimony in her baptism. I mean, just gave her testimony publicly. Uh, and, but she's completely apostatized. So it's, can we ever know these things for certain? No, we can't. But that very uncertainty, the very fact that it is so hard to know if conversion has truly taken place in a child, because it is so hard to know, it is better to err on the side of caution uh, than to send them to the baptistry right after they say they believe in Jesus or they've asked him into their heart. So anyway, dear ones, um, I didn't know I was going to get off on all that, but it's, it is something that is heavy on my heart. And I love kids and, and I appreciate our, all the parents out there who are teaching their children scripture. And I know there there are a lot. There's a lot who don't, but I know there are a lot. and um, And I know it's tough. I'm not a I've never had a, a small child of my own, but i can i can, i know it's tough when they profess faith in Christ and they want to be baptized it's It's tough to say no, I understand that from not only pressure from the children but i mean pressure from everybody else at church and I know it's tough but um but encourage them to wait and just watch and see as they grow into um teenagers, maybe older teenagers, just watch their life. See if they have a consistent pattern of living a godly life and, and uh, their baptism will mean more to them then. And also I'll say this, in closing, I'll say this. I did not get nearly as far in this text as I wanted to, but uh, this uh, Napion, the babes, it just got me, got my mind to going. I'll say this too. Another reason that we need to be careful in baptizing children is not only for their sake, That's enough, not only for their sake, but also for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the the witness for Christ, because when someone is baptized, that is a public statement. This person is making a public statement that he or she has been bought with the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, is a new creature in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. This... This person is saying, I belong to Christ, and if called upon to do so, I will die for Christ. Um, Baptism is a serious thing, and if true conversion has not happened, when that child grows up and does become a teenager and is exposed to alcohol and is exposed to sexual promiscuity and is exposed to... um, Things on the television and the internet, and pornography, and all this other stuff, drugs. I mean, just on and on and on. You know the, you know the, the um, the big offenders here. If that child is not truly converted, uh, eventually he's going to succumb to these things, and he's going to live like the rest of the world lives. Oh, but he's a Christian. Oh, but he's been baptized. She's been baptized. And so what does that say? That, that, that brings a reproach on the name of Christ. That brings dishonor to him. When people see this person who was baptized in a young age, professes to be a, Christ, a Christian, and still professes to be a Christian, and yet lives like everybody else, that brings reproach on the name of Christ. It brings dishonor to him. And so uh, this is the real reason we must be careful, as careful as we can possibly be, At any rate, as careful as we can possibly be because of the one whom it is we are representing when we call ourselves Christian. So please do be careful. Um, Love your kids. Teach them the gospel. Encourage them in that. But um, don't give them undue encouragement either. Watch them. Give them time. See if they bear evidence in keeping with repentance, fruit in keeping with repentance. All right, dear ones, uh, thank you for listening. And um, I hope that this has been of some help to you. And uh, I did not get nearly as far as I wanted to in the program, but we will continue. Uh, continue next week in looking at uh, this text. We're going to talk about... Uh, it's Jesus' statement. Uh, yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. It was well-pleasing to Christ uh, that the gospel uh, was, was hidden from the wise and intelligent, revealed to babes. And we'll talk about what Jesus meant when he said that. And what did he mean when he said, no one knows the Father except the Son, nor does anyone uh, know the Son except the Father, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. What does that mean? That will be our next program, Lord willing. So thank you very much, dear ones. As you are listening to this, I am in the Philippines along with my friend Mike Miller and his son Jacob. So I do covet your prayers for us as we travel uh, a number of different venues in the Philippines, preaching and teaching. We pray that uh, God will be honored in what we say, that we will be hidden behind the cross, and that our words will find a uh, fertile fertile ground good soil uh, to take root and to grow in, uh, in uh, these dear people in the Philippines. Heavily word of faith, heavily Catholic where we are going. So uh, pray for us as we travel and preach and teach. Pray for our families, uh, Mike Miller's family, his wife Carrie, and uh, their children. And I pray for my wife Kathy as we leave them behind to go and do this work. And I also want to remind you that coming up here in a few weeks, we will begin a series on spiritual warfare. I have interviewed my pastor and friend, Jim Osmond, who has written a book entitled Truth or Territory. Truth or Territory, that is the book's website, truthorterritory.com. And I highly, highly commend this to you. I'm looking forward to the series on uh, spiritual warfare. I believe we have 11 programs that we're going to do on that that I'll be uh, uh, putting out there for you. So uh, tell your friends and your family members about this coming up. I think it'll be really, really good. TruthOrTerritory.com, the book, is out and available now on Kindle formats. It's not available in a a paper hard uh, hard copy, but it is available on Kindle. TruthOrTerritory.com. So until our next time together, dear ones, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to the Justin Peters Program. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or would like to invite him to come and speak at your church or conference, contact him through his website, justinpeters.org. That's justinpeters.org.